The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seeds of humans and the seeds of animals. And just as I have watched them over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them uh, to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days thou shalt no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that, will, that they broke, though I as their husband, says the Lord. But this is a covenant that I will make to the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write in their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of God for the people of God. Our poem today by Mary Oliver is called Mindful. Every day I see or I hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations, Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. Would you pray with me? Creator God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And though my words may fumble and my meaning may come out wrong, I pray you find a way to use my words anyways. In your name we pray. Amen. O oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. How can we help 
but grow wise, surrounded by the beauty and majesty of creation. Mary Oliver asks a brilliant question, and yet, when I look around the world and the things taking place in it, my only response is that somehow we manage. We manage to move without wisdom or understanding in many sectors of our lives. And all we need for proof is a set of open eyes and open ears. Wisdom, for as simple as it might be, seems quite hard to come by. The struggle for wisdom is as old as time itself, and it is echoed in story after story across all time and every continent. In the time we've been searching for wisdom, generations have come and gone. The earth has shifted. Entire civilizations have risen and fallen. And yet the search continues. The search seems imperative when wisdom is most necessary in times of great turmoil and great pain. At times it feels like we never leave those times of turmoil and pain. It's a time that our prophet Jeremiah would have been very familiar with. He was living through the demise of his entire life. In about 586 BCE, the Babylonians were invading Judah and decimating the holy city of Jerusalem. The great temple had been reduced to ash and rubble, and the majority of the population, from the highest royal family members to the lowest beggars on the street, would have been killed or exiled. Will Gaffney of Bright Divinity School explains the absolute destruction that was taking place. Broken families would have been ravaged by grief and loss. Those left behind would have had to scramble to find surviving relatives and a place to sleep if their homes had been destroyed. Produce and food animals were either destroyed or taken away. Every object of value was plundered. Anyone with any authority or skill to help rebuild the society was dead or gone. It was in the very midst of that destruction that Jeremiah offers this prophetic hope to his people. That one day, this devastation would cease. One day, they would feel close to God again. One day, a new covenant would be formed that would change their hearts and their minds. If he knew it, he might have said their DNA. This covenant would alter the people of God so completely that they would never, never be hurt like this again. Now, I can't say what covenant Jeremiah was speaking of. I never met him to ask. And while it may be tempting to say that he is speaking of Christ's life and work on earth, we cannot assume to know. We cannot belittle the Hebrew tradition to be merely a backing of our own. But I do believe that there is something to learn about our creator from this prophet, a wisdom to be gleaned from the experiences of people 2,500 years ago. When Jeremiah writes the words of hope at the end of our scripture today, that the law 
would be written on the hearts of God's people and the law would no longer be taught, but it would live within them. It was a stark contrast to the law that they believed they were living in. You see, the law as the people of ancient Israel understood it was a set of hard and fast rules, no two ways about it. And it was relatively simple. There was reward for good behavior and punishment for bad behavior. We had 10 commandments. We had the entire book of Leviticus. And we see it in Deuteronomy 5.33. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you possess. It is echoed again in Proverbs 13.21. Trouble pursues the sinner. Sounds downright ominous. And all the way into Christ's own ministry, we see this idea of the law when his disciples ask him about a man who was born blind. Born blind, keep that in mind. They ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Inherent in the question is the assumption of evil and the consequences for actions. So when it came time to reckon with their own fate, the people surrounding Jeremiah, going through this desperate decimation of their people, they believed that this great execution and exile were acts of divine punishment, a holy indictment for all of their greed and sin and neglect for those struggling among them. If I had a little more fire and brimstone, I'd bring it. I just don't have that. <laughs> the exiles of the land of Judah shuffled across Babylon with the weight of sadness in their hearts, the weight of a broken covenant and broken promises to God that they would obey the law. In their hearts, they believed they had clearly committed a grave sin against their creator and must pay the price for their egregious acts, thus saith the law. But then, there's a book called Job, puts a proverbial hair in the soup of that logic. If you've never read the book of Job, I would suggest it, but I'm gonna warn you, you are in for a long haul. It is 42 chapters of dizzying heights and catastrophic lows, and some of the greatest poetry I think this world has ever seen. Job was as close to perfect as a human could ever get without being the son of God, of course. And yet, Job suffered immensely. His friends believed he must have done something atrocious because his life had gone from perfect to utterly destroyed in a matter of days. His family was killed. His home was decimated. Even Job himself was covered in boils that were itchy and painful. But his friends were wrong. He had done no such evil, and yet he suffered. It is a biblical reminder that evil befalls even the best of us, and that good can be bestowed upon those with evil hearts. So much for that clear logic of the law. 
What about the divine retribution for our sins? It seems that the logic expressed in Deuteronomy and Proverbs and across quite a bit of our scripture falls short, at least some of the time. But you know, that is one of my favorite things about the Bible. It publishes its own critique in-house. It's very efficient. So when we struggle to understand the law, the pursuit of wisdom that stands the test of time through the ages, it seems that we are not the only ones. The Bible really could be a tale of people trying to understand the law of God. What is it really? What is its intention? What is its purpose? Why do we need something that is so seemingly complicated and yet so simple? What is the law, and why do we want it written in our hearts in the first place? What would it do there? Why do we want it? I believe, at its core, that the law is meant to help us grow wise, to learn the way that we were intended to live outside of the drives of our human and fallible hearts. And yet, in human hands and human minds, the law becomes increasingly tangled in context and overthinking. What is it about the law of God that transcends all human thought? What carries it from beginning to end? Let's take a little journey through some scripture. Exodus 34. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hosea 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6, you probably know this one quite well. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And finally, Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in your law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The point of the law is not shame. It is not sadness. It is not repression. It is not hatred. It is not violence. It is not fear. The point of the law is not to be so bound up in rules that we forget the whole thing. The point of the law is love. 
That is why we want to have it written on the muscles of our hearts and in the marrow of our bones. We want it to live in every thought in our mind and every breath that passes our lips. Because without it, our life holds no purpose or meaning greater than our own momentary satisfaction. The rest of Jeremiah's life spent in exile was spent trying to turn people back to the law of love. And he would ultimately die in Egypt trying to lead the world to this great wisdom. For as complicated and as difficult as we might try to make it, it is this wisdom that stands true today. Pursue love in every aspect of your life, says the law. Love your creator and their creation, including yourself and everyone you know. Thus saith the law. Do the very best you can and rest in the knowledge that your God loves, loves deeply and without flaw. Thus saith the law. If you can hold only one thing, let it be that. Let go of the shame, because the expectations that might make you feel unworthy or unloved, they aren't yours, and they definitely aren't God's. What God wants from us is not so complex. It is merely to live, to see, to revel in the joy provided for us and do the very best that we can, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, to love God, neighbor, and self, to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves, to walk in the green grass and barren valleys of life, searching for God in every corner and every avenue of our lives. How can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. My prayer for you this week and every week is that you grow wise wandering your life. Let the law of God be written on your heart and in your mind that you may know above all that you are made for love. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.